that is like fire. You can use it to either cook your meal or you can burn your house down. Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here. Today I am with Lewis Heaton, Sam Massad, and our celebrity guest, Byron from the Driven Young podcast. Byron, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm really excited about this talk. Byron, it's, it's, uh, I, I first came across your, your show uh, on TikTok, of all places. I, I probably spent a little bit too much time on TikTok, or at least my fiance says that. But I, I, I test to her that I'm learning new things whilst I'm on there. It's not just all procrastination. And I, I really respected what you're trying to do. And what I'm understanding from The Driven Young is you're trying to help young people learn about investments, to learn about themselves and how they can you know, effectively better, be better versions of themselves. Uh, have I sort of hit the button on... Have I hit the nail on the head there? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the tagline I say is practical life skills we should have learned at school. And um, one of the top life skills I think we should be learning is financial literacy, how to manage our money, how to invest correctly, um, how to be smart like smart with it. Um, so that's actually out of a poll I did when I, I interviewed heaps and heaps of my listeners. And the number one thing that came across was, what do you wish you're learning in school? They said financial literacy. How do I pay loans? What, how do credit cards work? What's interest rates? What's compounding interest? Um, of course, there's a lot of other things I talk about, but that is definitely something I'm really passionate about. And it's interesting you say that because I don't think that this is just a young person thing. I feel like all that financial literacy doesn't uh, – I, I catch it with a lot of my friends that are 30, 40, even 50. You know, I, my mum and dad have got some bad habits that they didn't mm. learn at school. So, it, it, isn't, it, is, um, it isn't necessarily age agnostic. It's kind of intergenerational. Now, today, what I wanted to talk about was that sort of intergenerational investing. Um, you know, we've, we have clients that are older, some clients that are younger, some clients that have children. And what we notice is the younger generation of investors coming through um, have different have different difficulties getting into the market, different difficulties, different ways they need to think about investing. And just because your parents did it one way doesn't necessarily mean that you should be doing it the same way that they did. Um, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing with the younger investors and, and what are some of the things that you're seeing from your audience? Yeah, I think um, when it comes to investing, like if we're talking property, I think a lot of people are just, it's so far out of reach, they're just not even going to try. So if a lot of people are going, well, the average housing price in Sydney is $850,000 or something ridiculous. Um, to get a loan, I'm going to have to save up, you know, 85 grand to 100 grand probably. Um, on top of other things, it's like it's going to take me years and years. They go, you know what, let's not even bother trying, which is I think why crypto has been such a hot thing because crypto is like, well, I can get into the market for with 50 bucks in my wallet. Um, and so I think a big difficulty, as exactly as you mentioned, is and one of my biggest worries is that young people are just going to follow the path of their parents. They're going to go, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll finish high school, I'll go to university, I'll use my degree to get a job because that's how it works. I'll use that job to save up and then I'll just buy a home with that and then I should be sweet just like my parents. I just think a lot of there's a lot of thing wrong with that. A degree doesn't equal job now. You need to do a lot more than just get a degree. You need to have a lot of, you know, skills on top of that. Then once you've got that, you know, it's just unrealistic that we can save up a deposit by ourselves. You know, the, the only people around my age I know who have property usually went in with their parents or have uh, like a, a partner that they went in with and they're leveraging two full-time incomes. So if you don't have two full-time incomes, it's very, very difficult. It's not possible. Like it's definitely possible. But I just think what I'm seeing with young people is they're going, it's so far out of reach. I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to spend my money. Um, another big part of it, and I love to have a conversation around that, is uh, we really suffer from 
instant gratification, this generation. We suffer from, I want it now, I want it now. Whereas to, to generate wealth and to be smart investment, I'm sure as you guys would know, it's really a long-term play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I saw both Sam and Louis nodding their head at different junctions whilst you were talking. Um, Louis's eyes perked up as soon as you mentioned cryptocurrencies and the fact that you know this generation does suffer from the instant gratification and having to delay you know, getting, building up a deposit and, and to, you know, as, as the older generations throw shade at us saying we have to stop eating, you know, av- uh, crashed avocados yeah, yeah, yeah. or smashed avocados. <laughs> um, what, what do you reckon about some of this, Louis, about, you know, this instant gratification and, you know, the, the, the difficulties that young investors have? Are they, is it 100% valid? I think the question I want to ask you because, you know, do they necessarily have to go out and buy the eight hundred or million dollar home that their expectations have been set up for? Mm. No, I think we're trying to. <clears throat> I think what the hardest thing we're trying to find at the moment is a balance. Like Sam told me in the office uh, last week, he he pointed the finger and said, "Your your generation, exactly what Byron just said, is instant gratification." So, like you know, you, you go through Instagram, you get likes, you get comments, everything comes now, and then. On the other flip side of the coin, 95% of those people will go home and they'll, and they'll sit around a table uh, for dinner with their mum and dad who their investment journey lasted 45 years, as what Brian said before. Again, you save, 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 buy your own home, live there forever, and that's done. And that, and that's, as we, we've always said, it's a, it's a one way to invest. But trying to find the right balance now is probably where most people my age and most people in the generation I'm in, you know, an age bracket, but say between 18 to 27 or 18 to 25, they're trying to find the balance of, I, I want to get to my goals quickly. Um, I don't want to gamble my money away. Like we've seen cryptocurrencies, they were fantastic. Now they're not fantastic. They, they, they rise, they crash, but then also at the same time, an unrealistic goal of, oh, well, I, I want to, I want to invest my way to the future, but not wait 45 years to do so. So to your point, Dom, I think that, what we found out right now and currently is that if we can utilize uh, government schemes, grants and, and initiatives to our best of our ability and then to also to lower our expectation of what an investment may be, it's not going to be it's not going to be you know starry-eyed and, and beautiful as what we think it's going to be straight away. But finding the right balance in between the the long-term goals, of course, because that's what you know at, at the end of the day that's what we're going for but also trying to find out something that's going to you know start working for us quicker rather or you know, sooner rather than later you know sam and i were talking about this earlier um my mum and dad are italian he's a, a lebanese um and i thought that what the i'm going to say this because i can what the wogs did well when they came here to australia back in the 60s 70s and 80s is they went and bought what they could afford. Mm. You know, they went and bought in what were perceivably shit areas and were, you know, not not nice, were scary, were, were they didn't have everything going for it and they weren't naive enough to say, I'm going to go buy in Darling Harbour or, or Potts Point at that point in time. They went and bought in, we're in New South Wales, they bought and bought in Five Dock, they went and bought in Abbotsford, they went and bought in Balmain. These are all terrible areas back in the day where now they're beautiful, really, really nice areas. And I feel like the younger generation needs to sort of learn something from that. I know, I know Sam's mum and dad had similar experiences. Yeah. Um, I remember we uh, – I'm from Melbourne, so we drive past Victorian terraces which are now heritage listed and my dad would point out as like, oh, 
I got offered that for eight thousand dollars, and now it's two million dollars for a single wow. oh my God. frontage terrace. you know, twenty years later, and he kicks himself. And I, I guess, he, and I just see that, and I'm just like, wow, you know, eight thousand dollars. That doesn't get you a used Toyota Camry these days. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's it, it's a complete different kind of perspective, and um, you know, and I f- I feel like there's merit in that when you see that. It's a bit of a drive for yourself. For the younger generation to be like, right, well, I need to get in there now, um, you know, to you know, in, in hopes of, of seeing that that um, that double cycle in your lifetime happen a few times, um, like you know, like my parents did, um, and it can also mean you know a little, it can be a little bit disheartening to feel like there's a race that's happening and you're completely being left out as well. So, uh, going back to Louis, I just think it's just it's really finding that good balance and getting yourself, you know, a foothold in the market um, with something that that is going to give you a, a, a good return, perform you, you know, moderately well, because there is no such thing as a perfect investment, and I say that all the time. So, um, yeah, it's just about having, you know, a, a bit of an expectation and 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 know that this isn't an overnight um, overnight outcome. So. Well, do you know what, Byron, Dominic? You go. I was just going to say you made a good point there when you were talking about how, like, um, when when your guys' parents came to Australia and they bought these properties and, and shit areas or whatever. It's funny. I think a lot of generations above my generation, they weren't investors. They just did what was normal, and buying a home was yeah. normal, and then the, it, it paid off well for them. I just think it's completely unrealistic for my generation. You have to be an investor. You can't just like just do what's normal you, you know you can't really just buy a home like our parents did or like my grandparents did when they weren't smart or savvy they just kind of went oh here's what you do you get a job you save up you buy a home and then they got really lucky it went from this much dollars to this much dollars which once again we can't possibly go from eight hundred fifty thousand dollars um per home to in 20 years time at the same rate that would be like you know a hundred million dollars if you're going from eight grand to yeah whatever number you said so um, I think we do have to actually adopt more of an investor mindset as opposed to just For sure. just and, following and, what society and, says. And just to, you know, um, in addition to what Byron is saying, that Australian dream to be mortgage-free by retirement is is completely, you know, not in line with, with, with reality because it just doesn't work that way. Buy a home, pay off the home have an unencumbered asset and, and retire and live off your superannuation, there has to be different kind of avenues um, for the generation that's coming because $100,000 today isn't going to be worth $100,000 in, in 20, 30 years' time with, with inflation consistently and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, the, it's a, a, a really a, a different um, a different today. So um, uh, there's there's some really wise things we can really take from from that generation, and then there's some you know detours that we need to take to, to make it ahead. That's a good that's a good point because you're right. There is some wise things. In fact, buying things that you can afford, but you know we can't do it the way they did it. We do need to be investors. If it means that you know you're in Sydney and you've got to buy in Brisbane or you've got to buy in Melbourne, sell up. Mm. You know you've got to well, buy think, what you um, can afford. I think like a lot of my family friends, like my mum's friends and stuff, they're all essentially financially free. They're mortgage free, 
they're not savvy. They just bought a home in 2000 and it's tripled and or quadrupled or five times, gone up five times in value. Um, they Once again, they weren't thinking, oh, buy us an investment so that I can pay it off and stuff. They were just doing what was normal. And that's where I kind of go, I worry about their kids going, oh, I'll just do what my parents did. I'll just buy a home and it's going to go up by, you know, $800,000 in a decade, which is just, it could happen, I guess. But I don't think it's, uh, you know, I think we need to adopt more of a, okay, let's have a look. How do we invest? Should I look at stock? Should I look at crypto? Should I look at housing? Should I look at starting a business? There's lots of different ways to invest. I think my key message for young people is just start getting educated around it. Yeah, I completely agree. You, you do need to get educated about it. There are a number of different ways that you can do it. And I think, you know, if, if we go back and have a look at the way that people invested in the past, that, you know, the boomers and the Gen Xs, they're buying properties pretty cheap, right? And, but the thing that they had again, going against them is debt was very expensive. You know, particularly in the 80s, debt went up to 16, 17, 18%. Um, and why they then, they thought, well, 16% is a lot of interest to be paying. I need to pay down my debt as fast as possible. Mm. People that are investing in our current age, debt is extremely cheap. So debt is like, I always say this, debt is like fire. You can use it to either cook your meal or you can burn your house down. So debt is just a tool that we need to now uh, not be so scared of and maybe get better education, as you're saying, to learn how to use the debt to then magnify our returns. But do it in a very safe way and understand sure. what you know, expenses are, what revenue is going to be, how this stuff impacts my portfolio because our parents yeah. didn't need to use debt. Our grandparents didn't have to do it, but we certainly do. Yeah. I, and I'm totally with you, Dom, because I feel as though you're either two sorts, right? There's one category, you're either a trust fund baby that doesn't need to worry about debt and you know an inheritance is coming your way because I know a lot of people that, you know, in, 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 in I would say around my age, their parents are in their 60s and 70s and they are still living month to month and they're okay with that because they know something's going to be handed down to them, you know, in, in 10, 15, 20 years' time as, as, as you know, as bad as that it sounds, but it's the truth. Um, but people need to really get comfortable with the fact that debt is what actually makes you money um, unless you've mm -hmm. been handed down. You know, an asset, an unencumbered asset, here, have it, do what you want with it. You can go take those risks and, and not need the banks, but you need the banks. And that's the that's the truth. It's even so like just teaching the difference between good debt and bad debt. Like it's it blows my mind how little some people know. Like even like I know people in their mid-20s who don't really understand good or bad debt. They're getting car loans. It's like, oh, well, I've got debt. Is that right? No. Um, and so like one of the parts I teach when I teach to young people is we do a whole thing. We do... Um, break up into your teams. I want you to take a guess. How much? What percentage of income do you think the average Australian spends? The answer is one hundred and three percent. The average Australian is spending one hundred and three percent of the income. So how how is that possible? Credit cards, afterpay. I love talking about afterpay because that's you know that's a big one. And even just getting across, like if you can start to learn to comprehend the different types of debt, like just the fundamentals, it blows my mind how many people don't understand that. So is that one of the, the issues that you're seeing with the younger generation, quite literally, there no education or is it just all self-taught? Are there any systems or, you know, parents are not handing down good, good, good information? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, obviously, so when I do this money and finance section, I did it on the weekend in Canberra. We had uh, about 80, 80 
any uh, 80 kids anywhere from 14 to 20. So it, it can be a bit tricky because you're, you're teaching to different ages and people have different questions and stuff. But usually the, the kids who know stuff are usually they've looked on YouTube or their parents have taught them. There is no like structure that every Australian gets that educates them around this, which I think there should be. Like it should be a whole section at school in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, some kids are really educated. Some have absolutely no idea. They can't even comprehend. I've got to like break down, like, what is interest? Like, how does that work? I, I teach them what taxes. Half these kids don't even know what taxes. Like they, they know of it, but they don't actually understand what the point of taxes and why we pay tax. Um, now, once again, they're 15 years old, so you don't have to expect them to. Um, but it just blows my mind that this isn't part of our curriculum. And do you, what kind of responsibility? Because a lot of people that listen to our podcast have either got kids or are you know, um, or, or they're a first-time investor. And and it's funny because a first-time investor, the average age or the first time uh, first home buyer, the average age is about 33, 35. Mm. So you'd expect the first home buyer to be much much younger, but they certainly are not. Um, for the first category of people that are parents. Um, what are what are you are there certain messages that you should send to them? Should they be talking to the kids more openly about finance? Do they need to be a bit more open about how they're thinking about it? Um, and then also for the people that are a little bit you know younger and they are buying their first first home, is there a message in there for them to sort of think about their investing being different from their mum and dad? Yeah, I mean, firstly to parents, I think parents need to take. Um, well, not, it's not their fault. I just think they need to understand your kids aren't going to learn this at school, so you should take responsibility for it. Um, but then the other thing is half the parents might not even know what they're doing anyway. Um, if you've got parents who are really bad financially, that those skills or that their relationship with money might pass down to you. Um, and so I really think parents do need to rather just put all their all their trust into school when it comes to that. They need to go, you know what, let's start teaching this. And I also think they need to have more open conversations. Like it's bizarre. I remember growing up as a kid, I found it so weird how adults would just always avoid, oh, don't tell them what wage you're on. Oh, how, don't tell them how much your house was mm. worth. It's like, yeah. why? It's like they're, they're more comfortable talking about sex than they are about money. It's like, why is this? And I, I think it's like, I heard like, conspiracy theories, companies didn't want people saying that because they didn't want to know that they were on different wages and stuff and they were paying people different wages. Um, but I, I've always found it bizarre that we we really make it like taboo to talk about money. So I think you need to be yeah. more open. And then to younger people, once again, like it's so easy to get educated. Like this podcast like this, that's what I do on my podcast. It's all free. You can get books that are like 20 bucks, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Richest Man in Babylon, all those, you know, just fundamental books that give you a good overhaul of understanding of money. It's not that difficult to get educated. You've just got to be driven. You've got to, you've got to want to do it yourself and you're going to have to do it yourself. You can't rely on your parents or or society. Sometimes you can. My parents are pretty good. But even then, I've just actively searched for ways to learn as well. And like stuff like the event we run, Empower You. Send your kids to events like that. Force it on them. I, I really like what you said there about talking about money at home and it being taboo. Um, mm. You know, at Wealthy, we're all, we're all pretty transparent. Like everyone kind of knows what everyone's up to. We, we, share, we share what the business is doing, what the revenue, what the expenses are because I'm a great believer in having that transparency, having a good conversation and everyone then understands how things work. So then you're fully accountable and responsible for what you're doing. And it's interesting because I know that households are very, very weird about how they chat about cash. And I know that as a kid growing up, my mom and dad didn't really talk about money. They didn't talk about debt. And I think it was almost like a point of shame maybe because mm -hmm. they didn't have a lot of cash in our household. 
and they didn't want to talk about how much stress there may be on them. Um, I'll, I'll put the question to you two fellas. What's, what were your experiences or what are your thoughts on talking about money in houses and, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Is, is that a taboo? Did you talk about money in your house or will you talk about money with your kids if you want to have them and, and your partner and whatever else? I think, Lloyd. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I was never. It's it's hard. It's not. I'm always quite surprised when I'm talking to clients, and I think that uh, talking to people and just talking to, I guess, the, the the general population at the moment. If you do bring up how much you're on or how much you earn or any, if you're not that close relationship with someone like they're not your partner, even it, even be weird. It was uh, looking back now, and I, when I was growing up, it was it was my brother, or you know, you've never grown up to ask how much uh, mum and dad made. But in saying that, I don't think. I don't think we – that's not the point. It's not the point of, of kids knowing how much their, their parents earn. But I think to, to Byron's point is that the more we familiarize ourselves with strategies around making – not making money, but, yeah, no, yeah, making money and making the right investments and doing the right things with your money earlier in life, I think the – the quicker we get the the fails out of the way or the quicker we get the the mishits out of the way and the quicker we can see success about it like i heard a really i heard a really funny quote once from uh from a family friend of ours and it said that money's not the be all end all but i tell you what it makes it a lot easier mm. so if we can start if we can start understanding the more insights and in-depth knowledge about how i guess the fundamentals of investing works uh, not more or less knowing like what what the what the, the the dollar figure amount is, but if we can start talking it to an, a, a younger age, I think we can see more success going through the years of of you know when you, when you're truly developing as a person, like 15 to say to 25, you're going through high school, and, and we start to really get the understanding of of, of where we want to be or what we want to do with our money, and, and you know you're able to make that choice yourself, not look down the barrel at say when you're when you're 45 and haven't been able to make that choice yourself because you've relied on what the generation before you's done. Well, that's exactly it. Like the thing that my audience has over the four of us is I've got time. They're so young. Yeah. It's like if you guys can understand these concepts, like we do a whole compound interest just to get some sexy numbers up. And we say, you know, what? imagine you invested $100 a month for 45 years at 10% return. Here's how much you get. Then we go $200 a month. Then we go $400 a month. Then we do a 15% return, then a 20% return just to get them excited. And um, yeah, but the main thing is it's over 45 years. And 45 yeah. years for them, they'll be like 60. They won't even be retired yet. Mm. And it's yeah, exactly right. And that's that's the one thing I guess everyone's jealous of as well is time. So you know, mm. it's it's I wish I wish I started that last year. I wish I did that two years, you know, two years before. So if you can, and and, and it's also it's beating a it's beating a dead horse or flogging a dead horse sometimes. Like you, when I was in year ten, I know what it was like to hear from my dad. Enjoy every minute of high school. The, I tell you, mm. the, the minute you leave, the minute you go, shit. I wish I was I was back there again. So I know what it's like to be someone in year ten going. I, I, I don't give a shit about this at the moment. Like oh, all I care about is going to <laughs> seeing who my girlfriend or boyfriend is and or going to a party or playing sport on the weekends. And as that should be, as that, as that, as like, that's what you should be focused on. But if we can start implementing little bits and pieces here and there, as you're doing Byron in your cinemas and stuff, I think that is going to be the most beneficial way for the next generation to succeed in, in this uh, investment market. Yeah. Well, it doesn't Sammy, have to be- I'm interested to know. Sorry to interrupt, uh, Byron. Uh, you you continue. Oh, I was just going to say real quick. I was just going to say they don't even have to be like advanced investors. We just teach the importance of saving, you know, 10 to 20%, ideally more, but minimum 10%. Um, if you put that into, you know, something that's returning 7%, which they say is quite achievable, um, 7% return, and you just, just do that consistently and you're smart with your money, 
you can be financially free by the time you know you hit a certain age. It's not like you have to be, you know, you, you have to give up on other things <clears throat> and focus on investing. You can mm. do it relatively simply in the background. Obviously, you could mm. start getting into, get property and do all this other stuff, but you could still play sports, still do everything you want, and then yeah. just invest in the background. So, and I think that's another thing people should understand. Like, it's not a full time job. Um, mm. You can do it, and you, they can pay people like you. You just pay people to do it for you. Mm. So you can do small amounts of little investments. I really like that because a lot of our clients will come to us with like $300,000 cash, mm. but they haven't invested in anything all of their life. They just had it in cash. Oh. So then even the idea of investing something is terrifying for them and they're mm-hmm. looking to buy property. So they want to use all their money. So I love the idea of being a young person, making small investments, seeing what 7% does to $100 and then that changing over time. Um I don't want. I just want to quickly harp on back to Sam because I'm very interested. He grew up in a different household to me <laughs> and to Louis. You know, did I'm going to go. Did you guys? T- yeah, did you I'm guys talk go. about money? What- yeah, we did very, very openly. And I had a. a again, I'm going to use your, use the term. I had a, a big wog tight ass dad. So um, there was no secrecy of you know what we're earning and how much we have in our accounts. To this day, my father will ask me, how much savings do you have? And he'll judge me for whatever the balance is, <laughs> depending on, depending. And, and I, I look back and, what, you know, I used, it's my friends, I know, I, I, I mean, I know what my brother earns per week. I know how much he, he's, a, one of us is tradie. I know what is in his account. He'll tell me. So I, I'm really grateful that I grew up in a household where we were open um, you know, you know, we we're having open conversations about money, but also, um, I have people that that don't even know what their brothers actually earn. I said, I find that very, um, uh, I actually find that really foreign. I said, what do you mean? He's your brother? You should know. But I understand that there is a bit of an element of you know, um, not being too intrusive and independence, mm. privacy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what I can take is that the open discussions. Um, that my father is, has, has, has made us have as a whole in a group who will put you on the spot in front of your siblings is that he's taught us a bit of accountability of stupid spending um, and, you know, uh, living beyond your means. But also the, the other side of that was is that, you know, he kind of makes, makes you feel, you know, a little bit, you know, judge that you know you are living and etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think he was just trying to teach us to have a balance in life but it can you can you can either take it the way you want to take it but it's, it's made me um you know ask you know what people's salaries are and I, I i didn't see what the big deal was until i did get that kind of rejection and objection of like hey you don't need to know that um but I think first date, to... what are you earning? That might seem suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah first date. What's your BSB? What's your BSB number? <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, it was left field to maybe what you, how you guys grew up, but there was a lot of open discussions, um, and that may probably stems from immigrant survival mode coming into this country, very different, you know, to the way I've grown up, um, you know, in this generation, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, yeah, there was some really candid, on-the-spot, accountable uh, questions uh, that were asked. I really love that. I love the idea of having open conversations, at least within your family, because yeah. I think you can. There's a sense of accountability. There's yeah. no shame in it, and you can yeah. help one another. 
Just like stop. I'm like that now with our family. Uh, I, I tell this story often. Charlotte, very good saver, but her parents used to give her a salary at the, or not a salary, like a, a small amount of money at the start of every week. But that had to pay for her toothbrush, her toothpaste, her, her holidays, her trips, like a, a school uniform, like everything. And that taught her how to be a very, very excellent budgeter and very good with her money. Um, and I, I really respected that. Where on the other side, like when I was a kid, money was just you get some and it was a black hole. Whatever you did with it was your business. If you had like you know missing teeth and stuff after because you've been eating too much candy and that's, that's your fault. Um, so, so, so Byron, I mean, do you, it sounds like you're, you're a proponent or you're, you agree with transparency and people talking about money and it's a good way to kind of get things going on. Yeah. I mean, obviously as, as Sam mentioned, there's a level of you know privacy. You don't just ask random people, but if it's relevant and it's like, you know, you want to help them and obviously you're not going to shame them. I think there is people might be scared to say it either one, because it's too low or two, it might be too high. And I don't want to sound, you know, egotistical or like, look how much I'm earning, which is a big thing in Australia, right? Tall poppy syndrome. Um, but it's really interesting hearing Sam's story because, you know, I, I kind of wish I had that. I love my parents. I think they've taught me a lot when it comes to finances. But I do remember when I was really young, we had quite a few homes and we got our first home. I remember I was just like really interested to find out how much it was worth. Because at that age, I had no concept. I did, it could have been $10,000. It could have been half a million dollars. I had no idea. And I was just curious to understand. Um, and I know how much it costs now, but, but for some reason, my parents didn't tell me and I just had no idea why. And then you enter into the adult world and you go, oh, that's just part of society, really. There isn't really a, a logical explanation. It's just the way things are. Um, but like a, a good friend of mine, she's got a, a pretty big Instagram following called Tash Invest. She's got about 20,000 followers or 25. And uh, she shares her entire portfolio, portfolio like every month. She has an update of where everything is, her debt. Um, and people love that. People love how open and transparent she is. So I do think it is um, something a lot of people are looking for, especially on social media, like more authenticity, more transparency, more because it, it's, you know, half the people that we follow and half celebrities and sports stars are, are broke but we just think they're really rich because uh, mm. they're just terrible at spending Point. money. Like there's a stat, there's a stat like 90% of NBA stars go broke after a few years after retirement or something. So I do think there is a level of, you know, legitimacy and authenticity that could be improved by being, you know, open with that conversation, those types of conversations. That's really interesting that, you know, and I think that's right where there are all these athletes and stars mm -hmm. that are rich wearing shiny watches, but they don't own mm -hmm. half of the things that they're showing that they own. Yeah. We're in the age of okay. perception, right? You know what I mean? Oh, like 100%. If you, so if, you, if you're – the way you're perceived is everything. Like in, in today's world, in, I'm talking the means of everything, it's all about perception. If you're perceived this way, how many followers you have, um, who talks to you, how many comments you get, how many likes you get, who's this and this and this and this. If you're perceived one way in your own mind, it almost creates that these, – these, poor like kids growing up now are stress-free from it right and that's why i guess to your to your point byron you get someone like tash or they have instagram pages and on authenticity with it, uh surrounding these topics or just being honest truly shines yeah. right now because you're such an outlier and it's, and it's yeah. hard to have the conversation like it's really hard to to tell someone or to talk about these things but when you see someone doing it you go holy shit this is like this is they're, just, they're being real you know it's not it's not just a perception yeah. Especially in the world of like so much, you know, scams happening and so many people lying. Oh. Like when you see someone who has their entire portfolio that like it shows you everything they've got. They show you when they lose money. They show you when you win money. I'm way more likely to follow them because it's like, well, they must actually know what they're doing and they have the proof. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, 
this is, this whole world is just status chasing. A lot of people are just chasing status, regardless of the money. And I, I do, I open the money and finance section at this workshop. Um, the very first thing I say is lifestyle inflation. I'm like, that's one of the most important points I want to get across to you guys. Like lifestyle inflation. What is it? You know, why is it so dangerous? I can give you examples of nurses who've retired before doctors because they were much smarter with their money. The doctor earned four or five times what their wage was. But they, because they had other doctor friends, they spent it on watches and nicer cars because they wanted to keep up with each other. And now they're not fine, you know, they're not very good with their finances. Actually, uh, a great company you should reach out to, a good friend of mine, they called Ladies Finance Club. And they, they do educational content with finances for women, usually about 28 to 35. And typically, the whole thing started because they were, these women were at corporate jobs earning like quarter of a million dollars a year, but none of them had any savings and none of them had any investments. And my friend was blown away. So she started this whole company to help educate these women around their finances. So yeah, lifestyle inflation is a really, really big point. I love to get across because I think it's so important. I can attest to that. Guilty. Personally. I, I, I personally have had some lifestyle inflationary spending on shiny things and whatever. Oh, but, it's okay um, every now and then if you're smart with it, but just understand what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. But I, I, I grew up with a peer group of people and, and I used to be a financial planner and you'd see people earning quarter of a million dollars with no savings because they've mm-hmm. got the nicest penthouse apartment, they've got mm-hmm. a nice car that's on lease, they've got you know the latest suits that they throw out a couple of years later, It's and then their consuming behavior is just terrible. Um, and just, just real quick, repair. and just on that, the, the other sad thing about that is they now have a lifestyle which requires them to earn that much money, so they can't leave their job and they're stuck and they're trapped. And so if they go, oh, I'm hating this job, well, I can't leave because I need to earn this much money to service my penthouse apartment and my car loan and everything. So they almost like trapped themselves. Sorry, but I just wanted to get that point across. Now I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, but Byron, I'm, I'm very mindful that you know, you, you've got a busy day ahead of you and I don't want to take, you, take up too much more of your time. I just want to go around the, the screen, uh, the Brady Bunch here and, and ask, is there one, one bit of advice for for new investors or these younger investors coming into the market, things they should think about, maybe incentives or little life hacks. What, what, what should they be thinking about? We'll start with Louis. Um, I want to reiterate my point last week and don't want to sound like a broken record, but I really want to keep hammering it down. Don't, don't base investments uh, that uh, are judged by peers, family, friends, if they're frowned upon, if they're looked down upon, do stay in your own lane or you know get to outside of your own lane, but listen to the right people, like take all the advice you need to, but don't be put down or don't be put your back against the wall by people belittling you on your investment because it may not be as good as what is again perceived in in by other people because I promise you right now they're not doing it themselves. So stick to your guns and and the investment may not again always might look the best or might not do the best but just try and don't be put down by other people sort of belittling your own you know your own wants and doings and your own journey but uh to more statistical point government grants use government grants our our exemptions are ending like stamp duty in victoria we've got nine more days to get a contract signed and delivered so please that's 50 percent off right right away first home buyers uh first home buyers and and the stamp duty concession new south wales got up to 800 grand and you know we've got another year nab five percent deposits these are all things that you can talk to us about but please look online research uh utilize these things because they're making it a hell of a lot easier to get in the market than than it will be saying in another year's time yeah, it's a good, good tidbit. I, I really like that because, you know, uh, 
a lot of people will pass judgment on your investment decisions because it may not you know fit within their criteria of what's a sexy investment. So I really like mm. that. And there's a lot of free money being thrown around by the government and be silly not to take it. You know, five percent deposits, great. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Sam, gov- what, the Australian what about government? you, mate? There you go, Sam, go. I'm done. I'm going to keep ranting. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's just a simple message, and I say this a lot. Um, Start with some really good preliminary education about the root of, you you know, your investment journey and, you know, have the courage um, and take that risk because the real education happens is when you actually take that step. So... There's only so many, you know, education seminars, et cetera, that you can go to, but eventually it will come to a pointy end where it's time to make a decision, you know, base it on on, on good, informed um, education um, and, 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 you know, take that leap of faith. It takes a bit of courage to do so when, you know, if, if it's breaking that generational cycle of non-investors, be that, be that person to, to do so. Um, and you'll see it pay off in some retrospect, you know, down the track. Yeah, nice one. Byron? Um, I think just highlighting again the importance for this generation of delayed gratification and understanding that investment doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be Tesla and cool properties. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to just long-term, you can invest into ETFs that would give you a 7% return. Like that's really where the money is going to be made. Um, but, but what we see in the news are these massive spikes of Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Tesla, which is what we think investing is. And we get very distracted and go, oh, that's how, you know, that looks really mm-hmm. fun. I can invest now and a year later have this much money. But really, you just want to play the long game. And when I mean long game, I mean, you know, five years minimum, like you really long game, like, you know, the rest of your life. Um, but yeah, on top of that, get educated, but really just focus on delayed gratification and um, yeah, get educated around all that stuff and start now. Your biggest asset is time. Brilliant. I think if you take all of that, it's a really good set of, you know, there's a lot you can take from that. Go and get educated, you know, do the not so sexy stuff, the get rich slow scheme and, and, and compound interest is, is amazing. Um, you know, doing the government grants, taking free money where you can because it won't be here forever. That helped me get into my first property and whatever investments are available and also get your hands dirty because it's all well and good to research Robert Kiyosaki and to do The Richest Man in Babylon and to read all the books and the podcasts and everything. But if you don't go outside and and, and actually do it, you'll never mm. learn. You won't get anything done and you'll always sort of whimper in fear at the thought of maybe losing. Just go out and try. Take some safe uh, safe bets. Um, gentlemen, thank you very much for today. I think there's a hell of a lot that new uh, investors, you know, young kids, older investors can take from this podcast. So, Byron, thank you again for today. Um, and I hope your audience gets heaps of value and I know that ours will. So, yeah, thank My you, My pleasure. Thanks so much for, for joining, guys. That was really fun. Thanks, yeah. Byron. Okay. I'll catch you all later.